want to now invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. And we're still in chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 20 to 33. Again, we read in Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her saying, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the weirdness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Let us go to the Lord in a word. Of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word that instructs, that reproves, that encourages and strengthens. And we pray that this day you would do all those things, that you would strengthen your body, that you would reprove those who are erring, that you would once again, Lord, use your word to bring those who are yet in darkness into your marvelous light. I pray that the word would run this morning, that you would get all praise, glory, and honor from everything that comes out of my mouth. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in a previous Bible study, I mentioned that the book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. Now, one of the features of wisdom literature is its use of poetry. And in particular, this morning we find a large section of poetry. Specifically, we see the use of what is known as personification. Now, personification is a figure of speech in which 
An idea or thing is given human attributes and or feelings or is spoken of as if it were human. So an example of personification would be the brown grass was begging for water, right? Now we know that grass does not have a mouth. So how can it even beg for water? Right, of course, the grass is being not spoken of literally as beg- begging for water. But there is still a message that is communicated in this figure of speech. And so the brown grass begging for water would reveal the truth that the grass needs water badly. Another example would be the candle flame danced in the dark, right? Again, fire does not dance. But we use that figure of speech again to communicate something about how the flame moved. Or I might say, my wife's cheesecake was calling my name. (laughs) Now, of course, the cheesecake isn't doing anything But rather, again, I'm using that figure of speech to speak to my strong desire for the cheesecake. And so it is in these verses today that we find wisdom personified. Wisdom is personified as a woman. Now, if we read through the book of Proverbs... Lady Wisdom is featured in several chapters. We find Lady Wisdom being mentioned in chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 8, and chapter 9. And throughout the book of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom is contrasted with another woman. We'll say, we'll call her the wayward woman. Or, to put it more bluntly, the adulteress. The adulteress is found in Proverbs chapter 2, chapter 6, chapter 7, and also in chapter 9. Now, as we work our way through the book of Proverbs, we will see these two women being mentioned in close proximity. We will see their similarities as well as their stark differences. And so, in light of that, This Bible study this morning is entitled, The Women of Proverbs. The Women of Proverbs. So today, there are only two points that we're going to make. That is, first, the reproof of wisdom. And then the second point is the rejection of wisdom. So the reproof of wisdom and the rejection of wisdom. Look with me first at the reproof of wisdom. Again, we read in Proverbs chapter 1, Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded, And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. 
turn to my reproof. Turn to my reproof. Now, as I mentioned last week, Solomon warns the naive and the young against bad company that corrupts good morals. But to use the hunting analogy, Solomon now turns his sights to another target. It is the heart of the youth and the naive. This is his new bullseye. He moves, as it were, from the external forces to the internal influences that would destroy, as we will see from the text. Now, Solomon could have just said, turn to the reproof of wisdom and be done with it. But notice the rich imagery that's painted in these verses that really drives home the point. Lady Wisdom is pictured as a woman at the entrance of the city. She stands at the city gate preaching her sermon to travelers. Now, the city gates were important for protection and access. Merchants and pilgrims often traveled in and out of them. And the one on the city gate was highly visible. But Lady Wisdom is not stationary. She's on the move. She's in the streets. She's in the busy intersections. She's in the marketplace. She's among the people where it is loud and there are many people competing for attention. Over there, you could hear Mr. Worldliness saying, come. Whilst over here, you could hear the adulteress also saying, come. There are many voices. And so Lady Wisdom acts very unladylike. She raises her voice. She even shouts and cries out. And wisdom is not loud for loudness sake. In fact, wisdom is loud because there is a purpose. There is a urgent message that she must deliver. You know, it's like when mothers, uh, or if a mother were to take her uh, children to the pool and one of her child begins to drown, which sane mother seeing her child drowning would be all reserved and calm, right? On the contrary, she would be shouting to the top of her voice, my child is drowning, my child is drowning. There would be great urgency in her tone to draw attention to the situation, Her child is about to die. There is real danger. Likewise, children, young adults, wisdom sees that you are in real spiritual danger. And so she raises her voice to you. Will you hear her today? Will you listen to her message? She says in verse 22, 
How long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. How long, children? How long, young adults? How long, you naive ones? How long will you put off Christ? For Christ is not the personification of wisdom, but the very embodiment of wisdom. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 24 states, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. But he is also foolishness to those who are perishing. But who is it that is perishing? Going back to verse 22 of Proverbs 1, it is the fool, the scoffer, and the naive. Verse 22 again states, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Though the naive is a different type of sinner, nevertheless, their outcome will be the same as the scoffer and the fool. It will be destruction. But consider for a moment how the three are contrasted in Proverbs. First, there is the naive. Again, as you may recall in a previous Bible study, we said that the naive is open-minded. They're simple. They're described as foolish. In fact, the charge that wisdom makes against the naive in these verses is that the naive loves being simple-minded. Later in Proverbs 14, verse 15, we read, The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. The naive, according to the Proverbs, is open-minded. They easily believe what they are told. On the other hand, it is contrasted with the sensible man who considers his steps. Then there's Proverbs 8, verse 5. 
which the text states, O naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. In this proverb, we have an example of synonymous parallelism. Naive is synonymous with fools, and prudence is synonymous with wisdom. So those who are naive are foolish. In fact, we may even say that they are a certain type of fool. Morally speaking, they are a fool in the earliest of stages. They are uninitiated in the deep things of Satan. And so, there is still hope for the naive. For even though the naive is a fool, they are a teachable fool and may yet become wise. Until the naive commits to the way of wisdom, however, he remains in constant danger. And so as one commentator notes, the uncommitted are a danger to themselves and their associates. Until they repent, they are on a slippery slope and are grouped with fools and mockers. What they need most is shrewdness. They naively trust every word, bumble into misfortune, and inherit folly. Their open-to-everything attitude kills them. Now, the naive who persists in folly long enough becomes a fool, as described in our verse today. I want you to listen to how fools are described throughout the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 10, verse 23 states, Doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. Again, the the text says that doing wickedness is like sport to a fool. Now, the word sport in Proverbs 10 is most often translated as laughter. And thus the verse is translated in the ESV as follows. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Again, the idea is that sin is pleasurable to the fool. And just as a man may find enjoyment in sports or joy in laughter, so too does the fool delight in doing evil. Again, Proverbs 12:23 states, "A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly." The fool cannot help but utter foolishness. For as Jesus says in Luke 6:45, "The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good." And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And so foolishness is like a pot of water filled to the brim on the stove. But instead of water, it is folly that bubbles over. The fool can't help but speak his mind, and his words are as dangerous as the scorching liquid. 
the heat of which is only matched by his rage. Again, Proverbs 29, verse 11 states, A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Since the fool is always angry, they are also reckless, and their recklessness is only matched by their pride. Again, Proverbs 14, 16 states, A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and reckless. And so the state of the fool is best summarized as follows. Fools are sure of their own point of view, have no heart for education, regard mor- <clears throat> excuse me, disregard moral truth, and recklessly vent their folly. As they spout their own opinions, they get others and themselves in trouble. They are hot-headed and reckless and delight in evil conduct. They waste money and are prone to stupid amusements. Their ways are clear to all. It is better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. Instead of valuing knowledge and pursuing it, fools are repulsed by it and seek to rid themselves of it, doubling down on their folly as a dog returns to its vomit. Now, the final category is the scoffer, also called the mocker in other translations. The mocker is one given to scorn. They wear a perpetual grin on their face as they mock the holiness of God, make light of sin, and make arrogant boasts. Again, the same commentator notes, Mockers refers to the most hardened apostates. The noun mocking occurs in chapter 1, verse 22, and chapter 29, verse 8. The mocker, the direct opposite of the wise and of the discerning, hates the wise should they correct them. Their spiritual problem is rooted in their pride, and their arrogance keeps them from wisdom. To save a community, a mocker must be forcefully driven out. In the end, God himself scoffs at the mocker, thus ensuring they will disappear. Again, consider the following verses that describe the mocker in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 13, verse 1. A wise son accepts his father's discipline but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 21, verse 24, proud, haughty, scoffer are his names who acts with insolent pride. And Proverbs 24, verse 9, the devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer, listen to this, is an abomination to men. These are Harsh words reserved for the scoffer. Again, the text says that they are an abomination to men. Now, returning to Proverbs 1, Lady Wisdom 
calls all the foolish alike to repentance. She says in Proverbs 1.23, Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Lady Wisdom says, Turn to my reproof. Turn to my correction. In other words, repent. Repent. Now in the Old Testament, the concept of repentance is very similar to that found in the New. The word repentance, of course, has two primary meanings. First of which is a change of mind, and then the second of which is a turning. And so, Lady Wisdom beckons the naive to turn, to change course, to turn from sin onto God. And so, I exhort you this day, children, young adults, be broken over your sin. Weep and turn to Christ. Forsake your sin, for by the Spirit, God gives the power to do so. Again, Lady Wisdom says, I will pour out my Spirit on you. This is a promise. God makes a promise as to what he will do for the sinner in repentance. He says that he will pour out his Spirit, signifying that repentance is a work of God and a grace that comes from God. Again, children, young adults, hear the words of Lady Wisdom this day. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. Now, having considered the reproof of wisdom, we turn to point number two, which is the rejection of wisdom. The rejection of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 24 to 26 states, Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. Wisdom here is pictured as being constantly and consistently rejected. Wisdom calls and stretches forth her hand, but is ignored and neglected. No place is this seen clearer than in how the naive reject Christ. In the home and when the church gathers during the week and Sunday after Sunday, as the gospel goes forth, it is rejected. And wisdom cries out, how long? How long, children? 
How long, young adults? Days turn to weeks, and weeks turn to months, and months turn to years. And the naive believes that it is sufficient to adopt the principles of Christ, while at the same time rejecting the God that built that foundation. This, too, is folly. It is the sinfulness of sin. Now, the heart of the matter is that the naive don't desire wisdom. The text again says, And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. Lady, Lady Wisdom says, You did not want my reproof. Now, the Legacy Standard Bible translates the same verse as follows. It says, And you neglected all my counsel and were not willing to accept my reproof. The idea is that there's just no desire for wisdom. This verse reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 37. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks when under her wings. And you were unwilling. Jesus says of the Jews, and even of some of you here today, that you are unwilling. You are unwilling because you are in bondage to sin. Jesus elsewhere in the Gospel of John says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Why do men reject the light? Because deep down inside, they know that they will be called to forsake sin. And not just some of it, but all of it. And so who can save from such a wretched condition? Go back up to verse 23. God, by his spirit, can if you would only believe. God gives the power to do what you in of yourself cannot do. He is able. He is able. Doubt no more. But there may be yet still some here today who said, I've heard all of this before. I know of the boogeyman called hell. I've seen the passion of the Christ. And I'm good. I don't need a change. Lady Wisdom has a message for you. She says in verse 26, 
I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. You see, the scoffer back in verse 23 who mocked God now becomes the object of God's laughter. But God's laughter is not a laughter of joy, for he takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. Instead, God's laughter is a laughter of scorn. For they rejected the way that leads to life while there was yet time. And so the scoffer, like the fool and the naive, proceed down a path which culminates in destruction. And there comes a point when the way back is shut. Time's up. Mercy and grace are withdrawn and only judgment remains. What you thought were just Ghost stories all of a sudden becomes a nightmarish reality. But then it is too late. The way is shut. Again, Proverbs 1, 28 to 32 states, Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. When you know for certain that it is all real, it will be too late. Lady Wisdom cried out to you before, but you neglected her and rejected her offers. Now that you are ready to listen, it will be too late. As one commentator says of Lady Wisdom, They would not listen to my warnings. I will not listen to their cries. Because you rejected wisdom, wisdom now rejects you. If only you had repented while there was time. But now it's too late. And there is such a thing as too late. And you don't get to decide when that happens. And he who says that he will receive the way that leads to life later, when they are in danger now, is a fool. You need to turn now. For you do not know when the door will be shut. Think of the illustration of quick dry cement, often used for setting poles. Right? There's a time when you dig the hole, you put the pole in the hole, and you know you could 
and you put the cement in and you could still, there's still some time to move it around. But then, after a while, it becomes set in place. And only a force greater than it can move it. See, there soon comes a time when the heart of the naive persists in folly over time and it hardens and they become the fool. They become set in their ways and it takes a force of greater strength to move them. And so, to those of you who have given birth to foolish children, I want to encourage you with that. God's arm is not too short to save. While there is life, there is still hope. But again, I say to the naive and to the fool, turn to Christ now. For the grace of God is not a reason for you to be complacent. For the text says that the complacency of fools will destroy them. Now that word complacency here means quietness and ease. It is elsewhere translated as prosperity. And so the idea that is being spoken of is the idea of security. Right? There is a false sense of security. Some quiet their consciences by telling themselves it's, it's not real. While others say to themselves, I have time. Still others distract themselves with hobbies and leisure and even work. They give no time to such weighty matters. For now, they are at ease and do not see the real danger that they're in. All the while, the Father says, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, it does not matter whether you are in the category of the fool or of the naive. For even now, you stand under the judgment of God. Your life is constantly in danger. It's like the story of Damocles. As legend has it, uh, Damocles attended a king by the name of Dionysius. And one day, Damocles expressed his displeasure at the king's luxurious life and power that he wielded. The, the king, eager to teach him a lesson, switched places with him. And so, of course, Damocles eagerly accepted this opportunity. Now, 
as Damocles enjoyed his newfound power, and particularly when he sat on the throne, he noticed a huge sword above his head. And this sword was held by only one strand of horse hair. And so, of course, he became uneasy and realized at that moment that the sword could fall at any time and end his life. He, of course, begged the king to step down from the throne and return to his former position, and the king allowed it. Now, while this is a fable, it does speak to the reality of the spiritual danger that the naive and the fool are in. There is a sword of judgment that hangs above your head and constantly threatens to end your life. And you must step down and let the king take your place. For there is no true security outside of Christ, the king of kings. Again, Proverbs 1.33 puts it this way. Lady Wisdom says, But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. And so as we come to a close this morning, I want to once more exhort those outside of Christ to consider the words of Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom again says, Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word that instructs, that guides, that reproves, that trains in righteousness, and that you use to save. Lord, again, as I've prayed in the beginning, use the words of Lady Wisdom to draw those who are yet dead in sins and trespasses out of darkness into light. I pray that you would do this morning what only you have the power to do which is to give life. I pray, Lord, that the Spirit would give life to our children outside of Christ, to young adults, to those adults who do not know you here this morning, that they would hear the words of Lady Wisdom while there is yet time, that they may turn, that they may turn 
from the broad road in which they are even now traveling down. That they would turn to Christ. That they would forsake sin for Christ. That they would believe upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who in the end will have every knee bow. Some willingly and others in fear and trembling at the coming judgment. I pray that they would, that everyone in the sound of my voice would meditate upon these things, would think carefully upon these things, that those of us who are found in Christ with, with, with new vigor come before you on behalf of those who do not know you. Lord, we thank you for this day and we pray that you would continue to be glorified in the coming hour. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.